Hey, good morning. Good to see everyone. Resolute for revival. Amen? Dwight said, look up the word resolute, and you'll know what our series is about. And you have uh, obviously looked it up. It means determined, right? Determined to see revival. Well, you guys got your Bibles? Turn, if you would, to two passages, Galatians chapter 6. And then just put your finger there, if you would, and, or a piece of paper. That is if you have Bibles. A lot of you have, like, phones. That's a scary thing for me because I think it's a... You text in church. God's watching. But if you do have your Bibles... Go to Galatians 6, put a piece of paper there. And then we're going to start in Mark chapter 4 in just a moment. I don't know why this came to me, but during worship, you you know, we we travel with a team, an international ministry called Becoming Love Ministries. And there's seven couples on our team that uh, are full-time. And about six weeks ago, one of our teammates was at the Forerunner Church. That's a, a church for my hop in Kansas City. And he was preaching, and he stopped, and he had a word for someone with Alzheimer's. He released the word, and then went on preaching. The next night, this person who had an Alzheimer's, now listen to this, for 10 years, had clarity of mind, clarity of thought, was able to speak, hadn't spoken in 10 years, and came to the service that night and gave the testimony that she heard the word given. She was watching, it was on the, the, the television or computer, heard the word, received it, and God touched her of Alzheimer's. Isn't that awesome? Can we give the Lord a hand on that? Um, Now that's the first our team has ever had in that breakthrough. And um, I want to pray into that. Because when something comes to me, I, I I don't think it just came to me, right? Put your hands on someone's beside you. Come on, just put your hands on. So, Father, we just pray into this, and we pray not just for this house here, but someone who might be watching, someone who we might know, someone, God, who is, uh, whose mind is confused because of this disease. We say in Jesus' name, if you did it once, you can do it again. So we say in Jesus' name, bring clarity God, bring clarity of thought. We pray, God, that there would be confusion would be gone. Alzheimer's would be gone in Jesus' name. Raise up testimonies, God, from this one. We pray in Jesus' name, and we thank you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God. It's a joy to be here. I was thinking about resolute for revival, and what came to my mind was when Israel came back from captivity and their 
task was to rebuild the temple. And if you read Ezra and Haggai, that was not an easy task. In fact, they actually started the building of it, and then there was pushback and discouragement. And, and how many of you know when you set out to do an assignment for the, for, the, for the kingdom of God, there's going to be pushback? So there was pushback and discouragement, and so essentially the temple lay in ruins for years, um, at least another decade. Even Zerubbabel had started and then um, became discouraged. Well, in Zechariah, the Lord came to Zechariah and gave him a word. You know this. In Zechariah, I think it's 4 verse 8, the Lord came and said to Zechariah, he said, these hands, Zerubbabel, these hands that lay the foundation will be the same hands that complete this thing. And then, verse 10, God asked a question, and here's what I want to begin with. This question is this. Who will despise the day of small beginnings? Now, small, the Hebrew word small means insignificant. could even be translated powerless. It's like something that is so small, so insignificant, you're thinking to yourself, well, this is not going to amount to very much. But I'm going to say to you, if we're going to be resolute to see revival, we cannot despise something that seems so small and insignificant. We can't pass it off as saying, well, this doesn't amount to a whole lot. Because in the kingdom, something very small can be very large. If we're going to be resolute to see revival, we cannot despise, we cannot, we cannot treat something that looks small and insignificant as if it doesn't matter. All right. So in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus makes this commission to his boys. He says, let us go over to the other side. But you'll see it begins with the phrase, on that day. Now what day was that? Is an interesting day in which Jesus was teaching about sowing and reaping, which has everything to do, by the way, with revival. And in verse 14, Jesus says, The sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. Now, I love that verse because all of us are sowers of the word. Amen. Amen. Come on. We're sowers of the word. We're sowers of the most profound, life-changing thing, and that is the word of God. How many of you know there's nothing more profound and powerful than the word, right? Come on, Isaiah 40, verse 8, flowers and field pass away, but not the word. Mark 13, 31, heaven and earth passes away, but not the word. 2 Timothy 3, 16, it's been breathed into existence by the very breath of God. 1 Peter 1, 25, it is the enduring word, the living word, the imperishable seed. It is the profound, powerful word that you and I are sowing. Isaiah 55, 11 says that the word will not return without an effect. 
a word that means it's going to be effectual. So when you release the word, you have confidence that what you release has the capacity to bring transformation in the area that you have released it. So you don't necessarily need to see the results initially. You need to have confidence that what you're releasing is greater than the circumstances you're sowing the word into. Are you with me? See, this is all over the nation I talk about this. How many of you know there's a difference between truth and what's true? There's only one thing that's truth, the word. John 17, 17, Jesus says, my word is truth. How many of you know that truth is always greater than what's true? What's true is just true, does not make it truth. And truth always trumps what is true. Did you get that? See, the reality of our circumstances that we're in may be true, but that doesn't make it truth. Truth has the capacity to bring transformation to the circumstances that may be true. And that's the nature of the word that you're sowing because what you're sowing has the capacity to bring transformation in the circumstances. So your circumstances may look bleak. Your circumstances may be very challenging, but what you're sowing has the capacity to bring transformation in the circumstances because you're sowing truth into what may be true. Does that make sense? I talk fast, listen quick. See, this is Ezekiel chapter 37. He's standing in a valley of of bones. It's dry, it's dusty, and, and he asked the question, can these bones live again? And he was prodding in this vision. He was prodding Ezekiel to say, are you going to live by what you see or by what you hear? Are you going to live by circumstances? Are you going to put confidence in the prophetic word that I'm about to release through you? And here's the deal, gang. All of us are in valleys. All of us are in circumstances that seem dry and dusty at times. All of us are in, a, in, in areas that just seem hopeless and helpless. But if we'll trust the decreed word, it can turn a valley into a, an army, a living army. Come on. It's the power of the word. It does not return void. That's what we're sowing. That's why Jesus says, We don't live by bread alone, but by every word. You guys know that. That's prema. It's the word. We live by that. Listen, if we live by every word, we die in its absence. And you know what Jesus was doing there. He was stealing from Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, right? And you know the story there. Israel was eating What were they eating? Well, that's what it was. What? Yes, that is what. What? That is what it was. What? Yes, that. (laughs) That's how you translate manna. What? (laughs) Isn't that funny? You don't seem to be as impressed as I am. (laughs) Anyway, they're eating, and it's called what? It's manna. Um, When we were pastoring, you know, we were at Crossroads for 21 years. Um, I thought it would be funny we had, we had all these ceiling fans. So I came in on a Saturday night and I took vanilla wafers. I had to be about 50,000 wafers and I put them on the paddle blades of the fan. 
And I was teaching on manna, and I said to the ushers, I said, man, when I point to you, turn the, turn the fans on, right? And I'm talking about this mystery bread falling out of heaven. And I point to the usher, and there's thousands of wafers. It was a disaster. It was just a disaster. <laughs> Nobody knows what I taught that Sunday. But they remember the wafers all over the place. I mean, pieces for weeks and months. <laughs> but you know the story. They're eating manna. Now watch this. And they had the mistaken motion that they were eating or being sustained from the manna. And God dried it up because they don't eat the manna. That's not what sources them. They eat by the word because the word is what sources them. It's the nature of the word. It's the nature of what you and I sow. And so when, when we read verse 14, the sower sows the word. This, listen, this is being resolute for revival is knowing what you sow, is being aware of what you release. Gang, listen to me. Every single one of us release the most powerful, profound thing on the planet, and that is the Word of God. We release that. We release that. We release that. The sower sows the Word. And the first story that Jesus tells is about the receptivity of the heart. But, but I like verse 20. When the word is sown, it, it reaches the good heart. And this is the one that hears, that accepts, that bears 30, 60, and 100 fold. And that's the first story of sowing and reaping. The second story is verse 26. And this is what the kingdom is like. It's one who casts the seed upon the soil. And the gist of this little story is that the soil will always produce what you sow. If you sow wheat, guess what? You're getting wheat. If you sow corn, guess what? You're getting corn. The point is, is the soil will always reproduce the seed that you have put into it. But here's the story I like. Verse 30. Jesus says, how shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? And then he says this. Look at verse 31. He says, it is like a mustard seed. When sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are sown on the soil, when it is sown, it grows up and become larger than all the garden plants, even so large that birds come and nest in its foliage. Now, in first century, the, the mustard seed was almost microscopic. We actually have one now. Cindy has one at, at home, and, and we were at a meeting in Nashville, and we, we gave out mustard seeds. But you could actually see them. In first century, you could hardly see it. And so now watch. Jesus is talking about sowing seeds. He's talking about sowing the most profound, powerful thing on the planet. In our context, we're talking about revival and being resolute to see revival. But sometimes in the sowing, what we look at We say to ourselves, or at least the enemy can come along and say, what you're sowing isn't going to amount to a whole lot. And the challenge becomes, is will we despise the day of small beginnings? See, we've got to be willing, gang, listen, to steward the insignificant moments so that they become life-transforming moments. Now it's on that day, after Jesus finished this this sowing and reaping 
these three stories. It was on that day he gives the commission, let's go to the other side. Now, in Mark's gospel, this is the first time Jesus ventured into this area, Mark chapter 5. This is called the area of Gerasa. Gerasa was an area that was overrun by Rome 150 years prior to this point. Rome came in and just utterly just plundered the whole entire region. It was the area known as Decapolis, Deca, which is ten, ten cities. It was an area that was heavily influenced by demonic oppression. And so they're on this side. They're in, they're in Capernaum. They're in safe territory. They're in a place where there's a synagogue on every street corner. And Jesus, after he talks about sowing and reaping, says to his disciples, let's go to the other side so that we can sow some seed. Let's go to where the seed is going to make a transformational difference. Let's get out of the comfortable zone of Capernaum and go to Gerasa so that we can sow seed. And let me just stop and long enough to say, if you're really interested in revival, then many times you're going to be commissioned to go into places and have assignments that are absolutely challenging and very difficult. You can always tell if you have the mindset of revival or not based on your response when you're in the circumstances that you're sowing seeds. When people start to complain about how challenging and difficult circumstances are, they don't have a revival mindset. Because if we're interested in revival, listen, we're going to go into places that are going to be challenging because we're sowing a transformational seed that can bring transformation in the place where we are. I remember in 2014, I started traveling, you guys know when I was pastoring, in 2009. And around 2014, that whole year, I found myself going to places that were just bleak and difficult. And I mean, religious spirits and hard. And, and I was, I had my thumb so far down my throat. It was like, what is going on? And God said, you talk about having an apostolic breaker anointing. I can't trust you to give you the anointing if you're going to complain about where you're sowing the seed. I was in Sarasota, Florida. I was in a very, very difficult assignment. And I remember in a hotel room, I got up about 4 a.m. and the Lord was speaking to me this message. Stop whining. You're in this place because... What you carry is greater than the bondage that's on people. Gerasa was hard country. And Jesus said, let's go to the other side. I don't have time to talk about it, but it's just kind of interesting. In verse 36, it says, leaving the crowd. You'll never get to your assignment unless you're willing to part from those who want to live in compromise. Anyway, so, other side, let's go. Mark chapter 5. So when they came to the other side, Jesus got out of the boat, and immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. Now check verse 3 out. And he was dwelling among the tombs. The word dwelling means to abode. 
This wasn't just like a, a night's stay. This just wasn't like two or three days. No, the word dwelling gives us the indication that this guy lived there for months, maybe years. Now, Matthew 8, the parallel of this, says that this guy was so nasty that it was impassable. People couldn't even pass by here. The guy was dwelling in the tombs, and, and um, it says here that uh, he, no one could bind him. And often when he was bound with shackles and chains, he tore them apart. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Look at verse 5. Constantly, day and night, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains, and he was, he was literally gashing himself with stones. Do you know what that is, by the way? That's cutting. You, you do know that. A lot of cutting is just nothing more than demonic oppression. Okay, you do know that. We're, we're fighting that kind of nonsense today. <laughs> I think we're finally waking up to realizing that demonic stuff happens in the United States. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've been to other countries, and, and, you know, I don't know. It's just as... You know, the problem with the United States is there's, a, there's, a, there's such a pervasive ignorance to the demonic realm that we're being taken advantage of. You do know that. All right. I don't need to tell you guys that. You guys know that stuff. Anyway, so he's gashing himself. Look at this. Seeing Jesus from a dis distance, he ran, he bowed down, shouting with a loud voice, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you, do not torment me. Verse 8, for he had been saying to him, come out of him, you unclean spirit. Verse 9, asking him, what is your name? L let me just say, I don't believe that Jesus was asking the demon the name because I don't believe Jesus values demons. I think he was asking the man his name because he values people. Now, now you, I, I'm just telling you, I know people talk to demons, what is your name and what, I, if, if you're into that, go for it. I just, I don't see there's any necessity to talk to demons. I think Jesus values people. And he was asking the man his name. And as Luke indicates, he was suddenly seized at that moment. And then he began to speak, my name is Legion. Legion is a Roman numeral for 6,000. So this guy has 6,000 demons swirling around in him. And what's interesting is the demons don't want to leave the country. They're not interested in the man. They just don't want to leave the country. Demons want territory. They only use people to access space. You do know that. And so Jesus, seeing swine feeding nearby, they implored him, send us to the swine that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. Now here's what here's I want. And there were 2,000 pigs. 2,000 pigs with 6,000 demons. All right. Verse 14, ready? Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. 
they came to Jesus and they observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. Now, now check this out. Now this is a guy that's been dwelling in the tombs, gnashing and cutting himself, screaming. This is a guy that, again, Matthew 8 says, this area was impassable. This guy was frantic, manic, wild, crazy, demonic. 6,000 demons swirling through him. The people knew who it was. The people were aware, oh yeah, we know that area. Now, they come out, they find the guy, look at this, clothed, sitting down, and in his right mind, the very one who had the legion, and look at the end of verse 15, they became frightened. Doesn't that amuse you? Not like it does me, apparently. <laughs> They're frightened over the guy's deliverance. Which does tell me something. It tells me that sometimes we become accustomed to people in their bondage. And, and listen, true revival brings such transformation that the things that we're familiar with get uprooted. You understand, revival by its very definition indicates that we're impoverished and that we need something to come alive again. And so when we say we want revival, things get uprooted with the way they are. The status quo, that, that what we're comfortable with, what we've become familiar with, begins to get uprooted and everything gets changed. Amen. Which is why, you do know this, that revival is rarely sustained. Because often when revival happens, the very recipients of that move become accustomed to the way Holy Spirit is moving, that when He begins to move in a different way, the one recipients of the revival reject the very move of the Spirit because it's different from what they've become accustomed to. And so often we shut down a new move or work of the Spirit because it doesn't look like what we've become accustomed to. These people became accustomed. This is just old Joe. Yeah, he's like that. But now Jesus came, and Jesus was sowing the imperishable seed. Jesus was sowing something that brought transformation. Jesus was sowing something that doesn't lie dormant. It brings transformation. And this guy is transformed. Yep. Verse 16. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. Here it is, verse 17. Are you ready? Look at this. This is sobering. And they began to implore, beg, plead with Jesus to leave the region. <laughs> Isn't that sobering to you? Now, if I had been with Jesus, I, if I had been one of the disciples, I was like, oh, unbelievable. You, you mean to tell me? And, and getting over there was no easy task, right? The storm, the whole deal. And they get over to the other side, 
And sure, one convert. We all celebrate that. But the meeting comes to an end. The crusade is shut down after one convert. That's it. One guy gets delivered, and we do applaud that. But everything comes to a halt, and now we have to leave. Can you see it from the perspective of sowing a seed and how discouraging it might be? Now listen, here's the tendency of people who sow kingdom seed, is they assess what they see from an earthly perspective. If you're sowing a kingdom seed, then don't allow circumstances to override the capacity of what you've released. Are you with me? Because from human perspective, this is a bust. And so Jesus, he gets in the boat. And as he's leaving, the guy who was demon-possessed comes, and he implores him. He says, let me accompany you. And I would have said, man, come on, we, we only got 12. <laughs> At least chalk one for our team, right? Let's, let's, let's have him go with us. And look what Jesus says. Jesus did not let him go, but said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you, that he has had mercy on you. And verse 20, here it is. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Now you know the rest of the story. Right? Go to Mark chapter 7. Look at verse 31. Mark chapter 7, verse 31. Mark chapter 7, verse 31. And again, Jesus went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the what? Now watch. This is six months later. Six months later. Six months after this sowing of the seed and one dude gets transformed. We all celebrate that, but the meeting came to an end. Six months later, they're back in the same region. And now verse 32 says, They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty and they implored, there's that word again, they implored, they begged Jesus that he might lay his hand on them. Six months prior, they're begging Jesus to leave the region. Six months later, they're now begging Jesus to lay hands on someone who needs a touch. What happened? A mustard seed. A mustard seed. A mustard seed, a mustard seed, a, a prayer, a visit to the hospital, a walk across the street to see someone, a laying on the hands of someone at Walmart, just a simple mustard seed act 
Just something that was so small and the enemy is screaming at you. Do you really think that's going to make a difference? But it's a mustard seed sown in faith. It's a seed out of the realm of the kingdom. It's not sourced in this realm. It's sourced out of the heavens. So it has the capacity to bring transformation. So we don't despise the sowing of something very small because the same hand that sowed something small can become the same hand that begins to manage a massive harvest. And you know this, he ends up feeding 4,000 people in Mark chapter 8. 4,000 people in an area that six months prior he was cast out of Dodge. It's the mustard seed. So go to Galatians. This is where I want to end. This is the word that I've had on my heart for a few weeks now. Galatians 6, uh, starting with like, well, look at verse 7, halfway through verse 7. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Let me just say something here, and, and I don't mean this harshly, but what we're living with now is what we sowed yesterday. If we don't like the surrounding circumstances that we're living in, it might be because we've sown the harvest. Anyway, verse 8. For the one who sows into his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Now, flesh can be sin but it also can just be the physicality. And in the context of this verse here, it can mean both. It certainly does mean you can sow into sin, but, but I don't think that's necessarily where Paul's going here. I think sowing into the flesh, a better understanding of Sark's flesh would be sowing into the physicality of human nature. Let me say it this way. Those who sow into despair... Those who sow into discouragement. Those who sow into disheartedness. Those who sow into disappointment. I'll tell you what we see across the nation. Are people who once dreamed, but don't dream anymore. And I'm not talking about churches that don't have spirit. I'm talking about spirit-filled churches. Spirit-filled churches, which surprises me. We should be the ones on the cutting edge. We should be the dreamers. But I'm talking spirit-filled churches don't dream anymore. Shattered dreams. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope
For the one who sows to his own flesh will out of flesh reap corruption. The word corruption there is a word for misery. It's just miserable circumstance. Just miserable. Just miserable. But the one who sows into the Spirit, look at this, from the Spirit will reap perpetual life. It's not you get to go to heaven when you die. That certainly is implied. Perpetual life, eternal life, is this perpetual vitality. I'm not talking emotion. I'm talking perpetual vitality, this sustainable fire on the inside. Do you know what I'm saying? On the inside. The sustainable passion, not emotion. So the one who sows into the Spirit, then out of the Spirit will reap. And then here's the verse. Let us not Lose heart. It's an interesting verb. Let us not lose heart in doing good. In the context, it's in the sowing. Let us not lose passion. Let us not lose the spirit in the sowing. Do not become spiritless in doing good. Keep sowing seed. Listen. You want to be resolute for revival? Keep sowing seed. Yeah, but I've been praying for my spouse for years. I've been praying for my kids. I've been praying for that person who's on meth. I'm just, I'm just, it's just... Yeah, I, I've been praying for my company. I, I've been praying for that breakthrough. I've been praying for a financial release. I, I've been years. For in due time, you understand, there's different words for time. There's chronos. See, chronos, I could tell you. Chronos would be like, okay, next Tuesday at 6.30. Chronos would be, oh, your breakthrough's Wednesday at 5 o'clock. Oh, oh yeah, yours two months from now at 7.30. See, see chronos can be scheduled. Chronos is calculated. Kronos is what you wear on your wrist. Kronos can be pinpointed. That's Kronos time. This is not Kronos. Kairos. What's that? That's an, that's an appointed time. That's like Galatians 4.4. At the right time, God brought forth His Son. Oh my gosh. The perfect time of fulfillment in history when the manifestation of heaven was put into flesh, Jesus Christ. 
An opportune time is kairos. That means at the right moment, man. You couldn't see it coming. You couldn't plan it. You couldn't get out your schedule. You couldn't know. It's at the right moment when God knows exactly when the breakthrough needs to be. I am so impatient. <laughs> oh my gosh, I tapped my foot at a microwave oven. <laughs> I'm almost 60. I know I look 30. Appreciate that. Thank you. I'm almost 60. And the one lesson, like if there was one major lesson, I gave my life to Jesus in 1981. That's when I was born again filled with the Spirit in 82, had multiple encounters with God. The one thing God has worked on me all these years is impetuousness. Impetuousness is nothing more than a distraction from the sowing. And, and, and I'll just be real candid. I'll, I'll do this for a while, and then I start looking around. They got their harvest. What they? What? But I have seed that He's given me, and I need to sow. And in due time, I'm going to receive. I'm going to have a harvest if I do not grow. Come on, church. I mean, as Evan Roberts was reading about that recently. 13 years for the Welsh revival that 1904, over 150,000 people came to faith, which some scholars feel was the foundation, actually, for the Azusa Street revival which is the birth of the Pentecostal movement. Because one guy, or how about in Amalonga, Guatemala, that I think I told you about one time, where they started praying in 1975. 1975 they started praying. Amalonga, Guatemala was an area of 20,000 people that was overrun with sex, and drinking and occult-type activities. And some of the people got together, and here's what they said, not on our watch. I would love people to stand up and just say, not on my watch. Come on, church, look around. This city needs to be transformed, and we're the ones who are the watchmen on the wall. Come on, church. Come on, man. I still have a burden for this city. We moved to this city in 1997. It was a few years after that, a group of us from Grove City Church of the Nazarene got in a van and drove around 270 seven Mondays in a row asking for the walls to fall. Because we want this city. We still want this city. We still want this city. These people said, not on our watch. Not on our watch. And they begin to pray. 
1975, they begin to pray. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they kept sowing, and they kept sowing, and they kept sowing. You know how discouraged it is when you pray and you only have just a few people? You understand that most prayer meetings begin very small. And I think on purpose. Because you don't need a lot of distraction when you're praying for revival. And a lot of people get distracted and they'll just start it off small. And they prayed. 1975, just sowing seeds, sowing seeds, sowing seeds. 1975, 76, 77, 78, 79, 80, 81, 82, 83, 84, 85. And we're just sowing. What are you doing? I'm sowing seeds. Are you ready? They sowed seeds for 20 years. And in 1995, the power of God fell on Almalonga, Guatemala, to such an extent that 97% of that city became born again. Come on, I thought you'd run around and shout. You can read about it. We have a friend who was there. And God's, you know, you, you quoted 2 Chronicles 7.14 about God, who when we are turn from our wicked ways and pray and seek and humble ourselves. You know what it says? It says he will even heal the land. Do you know what happened in Almalanga, Guatemala? The dirt, the soil was touched to such an extent that they began to grow crops that was just supernatural. I have pictures on my phone of heads of cabbage where it takes almost two people to carry. Carrots were two and a half feet long. The person we know traveled across the United States and held up a two and a half foot carrot and said, who would like this? And everyone applauded. And they said, there's a price to pay. It's called sowing into revival. Right. Celery, three feet in a length. That's as tall as I am. Three feet in length. <laughs> well, now you laugh. I mean, it's just remarkable. People would come from the United States. What are you doing? Well, we're just praying. We understand that, but what are you doing? Well, we're praying. Yeah, we get all of that, but what are you doing? No, you don't understand. We're praying. No one committed a crime for over a decade. Listen to this. There were no diseases. There were no crimes. The policemen didn't have anything to do. They joined the local churches and became ushers. They changed the name of bars into places where they did food banks and Bible studies. For over a decade, churches actually worshiped together in arenas. You read about it. It's phenomenal. It was the first, what George Otis Jr. calls, citywide awakening, which is more than revival. Revival touches your church, but true revival has to become an awakening that touches the city. How did it happen? Look at your hands real quick. Look at your hands. Everyone look at your hands.
You're sowing seeds. Come on, man. These hands are sowing seeds of transformation. Every one of you. Keep sowing. Some of you are in the harvest. Some of you are like, man, this is phenomenal. Some of you feel like you've been asked to leave the region. It's hard. You're standing on garrison. You're not seeing much fruit for your labor. Do not lose heart. Are you with me? What's this church sown into? I started weeping for this church last night. This church is coming up on, how many years did you say? 56 years. Last night I was weeping for this church. You've, got, you've had an incredible run. You know that. But I think God wants to do so much more. Come on, man, out of this house. God wants to do so much more. Keep sowing. Amen? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you that you will not become discouraged in sowing the seed. That you will not lose heart. Jesus, right now I thank you for the life-giving seed. The transformational kingdom seed that you've given every one of us, God, to deposit. I thank you, Lord, that in due time, come on, in due time, we will reap. At the right time, at an opportune time, at a divine moment, when we maybe least expect, God, you're going to drop something out of the heavens that will, God, be a kingdom harvest. Come on, put your hands on someone beside you. Put your hands on the person beside you. Come on, pray into them right now. Come on, just pray into them right now. Come on, just lift your voices. Come on, pray into them right now. Pray into them. Come on, pray into them right now. If you're not sitting by someone, just get, get near someone. Come put your hands on them. Come on, just pray right now. They will not become discouraged. Come on. They will not become discouraged. Come on. Come on, God, right now. In this house, God. In this house are men and women being raised up to sow kingdom seed. To deposit, oh God, in difficult places, transformational seed. Come on, God. Deploy us, God. Yes. Come on. Come on. Some of you are being deployed into some challenging places right now. Come on. Some of you are being sent into places... You say, well, it's challenging, I know. Come on, sow the seed. Come on, sow the seed. Sow the seed. Sow the seed. Sow the seeds. Come on, 
Yes, God. Okay, listen. Some of you, the Spirit of God is touching you and giving you a commission. It's time to go to the other side. Come on, some of you, the Spirit of the Lord is saying, I'm wanting to move you. I'm not talking about moving necessarily in terms of a, another house or another city or another church, but, but a move spiritually from where you are to where you need to be. Come on, some of you right now, it's time to move from where you are and go to Gerasa. Come on, right now. Some of you need to move to the other side, which requires leaving the crowd. So come on, pray into that. Father, we will go where you deploy us. Come on. God, we will go where you send us. Come on, God, we will, we will follow the decree, God. We will follow the assignment, God. May not be easy, but God, we're ready to go to Gerasa. We're ready, God, to go to the other side. We're ready, God, to go to where the seed needs to be deposited, God. Send us, God. Come on, just tell him, send me. Send me, God. Send me. Come on, send me. I'm ready to go. Come on, just send me. Send me. Come on. Send me. Okay, one other thing. Listen to this. So I'm about a third of my way through um, Pastor's book, um, The Journey, the, the River. It's a journey for me. It really is. Thank you. As I'm reading this, I'm, and, and I'm actually going through really carefully because I want to give you an endorsement. But as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, this is one book out of a house. I think there needs to be more books out of this house. I think there needs to be songs. I think there needs to be assignments. Listen, you're already touching the nations, but God's wanting to use people in this place to do extraordinary things over the next decade. I'm just telling you, I see it in the spirit. Yeah, you've done some great things in 56 years, but man, buckle your seatbelt. I think there's like this, um, it's like things are speeding up. Does that make sense? There's like a, there's like something's expedited. Like it's like, like what, what took us longer in the past, things are shortening now in, in these times. It's like things are happening sooner. It's like the Syrophoenician woman who was able to reach in and grab something before her dispensation, her time period. I think we can reach in and apprehend things by faith and bring them into the now. Come on, church. Does that make sense? Come on, begin to pray into that right now. Come on. So, Father, we're going to apprehend. We're going to, we're going to see things, God. There's going to be songs come out of this church. There's, there's going to be books come out of this church, God. There's going to be cities and nations reached by people who are deployed out of this church, God. There's going to be guys and gals sent, God, released out of this house, God, for short term missionary work and they're going to see God nations come to faith because they've been sent out of this church God on assignment to sow seeds God and so I say oh God 
Out of this house, God, may there be a harvest. Come on, out of this house, may there be, oh God, a great harvest, God, across the city and across the nation, oh God, and around the nations, God. May books, may songs, God, may, 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 may God, things be released out of this house that have not been able to be released, God, over the last few decades. Greater things, God, we're saying in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, everybody stand. Everyone stand with me. Come on. Lift your voice and pray with me. Come on, God. We thank you for the coming revival. Come on, God. We thank you for the coming revival. Come on, God. We thank you, God, that we're in the midst of it. Come on, God. We will not despise the day of small beginnings. Come on. We will not despise the day of small sowing. We will not despise the day of sowing things that look small. In Jesus' name, we'll keep releasing seed. We'll keep sowing into the kingdom, God. We will sow to the Spirit, God. We will not become weary. We will not lose heart. We will not lose our passion, O oh God. We will continue to sow into the kingdom. Sow into the Spirit, believing God that you're going to bring great things to come. You're going to bring a great harvest, God, to each of us and to this church in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's, let's, give, the, let's give the Lord a hand. Come on. Bless you, Lord. Amen. You guys are awesome. You really are. I believe God wants to do, has been doing, and will do even greater things in this church. We love this house. Amen. Pastor.